Good morning and welcome to the Monday Main Point. It is Monday, October 4th, 2021, and I am here at Rosa Sharon Baptist. Uh, I am Jonathan Hendrickson. I'm the associate pastor here at Rosa Sharon, and I'm with the rest of the pastoral staff this morning. I got Jeremiah Custer to my left. He's our youth pastor. Right across the table from me is Blake Flincham. He's our children's pastor. And to my right is our senior pastor, Jeff McCarthy. And we are still talking about agape, although I think this is the, I mean, we'll always talk about agape love you know, that's as, right. as, a, as Christian ministers. I mean, that's part of, that's the whole motivation behind Christianity. You really can't talk about Christianity without talking about sacrificial love. But we've been doing a deep dive into this concept of agape and what it means to love our enemies, love our neighbors, love one another, and love God. And then um, I actually like the idea that you uh, came to this this last uh, sermon on agape uh, that you brought to it, which is what happens when we fail to love? What happens when we mess it up? What happens when um, when we when we don't love? And um, I, I think that's great. And, and of course. Uh, the, the text to look at that uh, is, is obviously the text you look at, which is John 21, 15 through 17, where Jesus, this is what we would call the reinstatement of Peter. This is after Peter's den- threefold denial of Jesus at, uh, before the crucifixion. Uh, Peter is now he's crushed at, at, at the point where he recognizes his mistake. And uh, we'll talk about that at length when we get into these points a little bit more. But um, after the re- post-resurrection, Peter has seen the resurrected Jesus. John tells us this is the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples. Um, and this is the point where Peter's gone out fishing, um, presumably to go back to his occupation. And um, rec- they recognize Jesus. Peter runs, uh, goes back onto the shore, um, joins up with Jesus, who's got breakfast waiting for him. And then Jesus kind of, I always assume, sort of pulled Peter to the side. I don't think he did this in front of everybody else. I think it was a, this was a private conversation that maybe Peter shared with John afterwards. Um, but this is where Jesus asked Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times, and Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Um, and and uh, this is obviously to reinstate Peter, to show Peter that um, that. Jesus was not done with him, that he still had a plan for him, he had a purpose for him, um, and that just because he had messed up didn't mean it was all over. So um, so that's kind of what we're looking at, you know, and, 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 and what we want to do, obviously, with this, and what I think you did so, so well yesterday, Jeff, is how do we take this story about Peter and Jesus, and, and, and having comprehended that and looked over that, how do we then take that and sort of apply it to where we are? And I heard something yesterday in a, in a, in a study that I'm doing with, um, that I'm doing with uh, our life group that I really liked and, and I think is, is, is wise when we look at any passage, and I'll bring it to this. And that's, um, anytime we look at a passage of Scripture, we, when we're looking for application, the first thing we want to say is what did it mean to, to them in their time, right? And, and, and then the second thing is, what does it mean to us always? And the interesting thing there is, that's a step we often skip because the us is plural. Like all of us, not just us, like me, 
but us. What does it mean for like believers? Yeah, or just from huma- that point on, right? Or humanity, right? What does it mean for everyone always? And then what does it mean for me now? And I think what happens a lot of times is we go directly to the what does it mean to me now? And so uh, I thought that was kind of cool. So we'll kind of take that same sort of threefold approach with this as we look over these three points again um, and talk about talk about it in those terms. So let's let's look at the text first, and then let's just jump into this, um, shall we? Um, I'll, I'll read this one more time. Uh, this is John 21, 15 through 17. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Um, One of the things that I don't think I heard you mention this yesterday, uh, and if you did, I apologize if you you said it and I just missed it, is um, I, I find it interesting how Jesus addresses Peter. Because remember, Jesus is the one who said to Peter, after Peter's confession of him, uh, you are Peter, and on this, uh, you are, because his name is Simon, Simon, Simon Barjona. And he says, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. And so he begins calling him Peter from that point, right? Petra, Petros, right? Yeah. Um, meaning rock. But here Jesus doesn't use Peter. He goes back to his name before the confession. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't really catch that or... Yeah, it really didn't fit into kind of where I was. True, going to. true, and but so that would be an interesting thing to look at too, to to see why Jesus did that. Yeah, and so well, we can talk about that a little bit, right? So why why does Jesus do that? Why why might Jesus um, address him as Simon Barjona, basically? Because um, I think he says Simon son of Jonah. Doesn't mm-hmm. he? Simon son of Jonah. Yeah. Why does he go back to address him as Simon Simon Barjona here, as opposed to address, addressing him as as Peter? Um, and, you know, why, why, why might he do that? I mean, I, I think he's just trying to get his attention. I think Peter feels, and I think this has to do, though, Jeff, with what you were saying, too. That Peter, at this point in his life, feels like Jesus is done with him, right? I messed up. I made a massive mistake. I, uh, and I did exactly what I said I wasn't going to do. And, and we've, all, we've all been there before, by the way. All of us have. And at this point, he, he feels like, well, I can't be a fisher of men anymore. You know, Jesus called me to be a fisher of men. I'm not a fisher of men anymore. I'm going to be a fisher of fish again. And because um, I think you're right. I think something you said yesterday is that you think of Peter. This wasn't Peter just taking a fishing trip. <laughs> no, <laughs> one's like, hey, let's go fishing tomorrow. Yeah, I, I, I've heard people. I've heard people try to do that. You know, like when when they're preaching this passage, they'll say something like, you know, uh, you know, he just want to go fishing. Yeah, and say, <laughs> as, like, as a little kid, that's what I thought because you would hear preachers say that because they had Peter being Peter mm-hmm. preaching, you know, after Pentecost, and so in their concept, they couldn't bring Peter back to. I guess like what you're talking about, bringing him back to Simon. Like, right. Who are you really as a person? Mm-hmm. And this is who I really love. And now, I don't want to put all this pressure on you as Peter. Right. This world changer. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to who you are. And it's okay. You messed up. Now 
follow me again. Yeah. You know, let's let's go back to the to the task. Yeah, I like that. So I, that, <clears throat> that would make sense then for the yeah. I I, I, I like that. That was my big motivation on this thing. We learned all about this love stuff. Of course, nobody sitting at this table can do that. You know, consistently, every day, all the time. No, and we always fail. In, yes. in, in those areas right there mm-hmm. and like what happens when we do and and so you know I didn't want to put a bunch of people on a bunch of guilt trip like yeah we're supposed to be these big agape love people around here right and act like we never fell at it and then if you do what do you do about it and so this was a just a natural way of just just bringing all this whole love um, uh, sermon series kind of thing that, that got, kind of got put together organically yeah. To to uh, to kind of wrap a bow on it and say, okay, now how do we live this out? Right, and and I, I like you know your whole first point is that we we just really need to be honest when we when we do fail to love Jesus with this sort of agape love this, and we're going to fail to love Jesus that way. Um, in fact, if you're you know we've said this before, but if you're not even a believer, you can't love Jesus that way. So just you know know that out of the gate. But then even even for those who are believers who are Jeremiah saved by, by by their faith in Christ and God's grace towards them. We're we're not, even though we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us and we have Him abiding in us. I don't think it's possible for us to always, always agape love Him at least intentionally. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think uh, we're working towards that, and in heaven we will be able to do so uh, perfectly. Um, but I've always seen like this agape love as the love when God says that that I am love mm-hmm. or, or God is love. It, it's that. It's it, it. He embodies it perfectly. It's in His nature. It's in His character. It's who He is. And so for us to claim that that we could do so apart from having Him is is hogwash. I mean that's just impossible. You can't. Unless you have his character living inside of you and moving in you, you can't do so. But then once he is in in you, uh, it's not perfected until, I think, uh, the resurrection. And so uh, he's working in us. He's sanctifying from from within. And when we fail, uh, he's there to restore us and and be about reconciliation. Do you think it's hard to admit that we fail to love him? I mean, like, I mean, do you think that the people... They don't want to admit that they're, they they failed. We have to know it, but why do we why do we not want to admit that we failed? I mean, well, I think we know the holiness <clears throat> that uh, God wants of us. Um, you know, the, I think of the whole theme of a uh, you know on the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus is telling the uh, talking to the disciples and giving them a uh, giving them kind of like this standard this uh, this kind of lifestyle that he wants to see in his disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, and bottom line, we just don't live up to it. And I think there is a part, you know, there is some, there's still some pride in us because um, we still do have that, you know, the humanity, you know, the, the sinful flesh in us. And uh, with that, it just comes, we don't want to admit it, but it's always easier to admit it and just repent and move on. Yeah, I find it funny sometimes we... We even as Christians, we don't want to admit to God our, our faults when He already knows them, and it seems silly that we're trying to hide something that He already knows. It's you know, it's it. it we like to justify ourselves a lot too. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. we're like that kid that gets yeah. caught, right? Yeah, we're like the kid who, who who gets caught, knows they've done wrong. Yeah, and you know, you know, they I don't know, they 
spill paint on the carpet or something. And so um, they they take a, a small blanket and throw over top of it and think, okay, or you know, or take a washcloth and smear it and think, okay, I've got that. All I gotta do now is just move this piece of furniture over top of this, and no one will ever know. And and like the, it's not like parents are stupid, you know? <laughs> but the kid thinks as long as I can hide this from from my own side, then it it, it doesn't exist any longer. And uh, and 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 maybe maybe it'll be the case that my, the parents will ignore it too. But the guilt is still there. The shame is still there, right? And the truth is, is that the parents the parents do know. And, and it assumes that the parents are going to, you know, stop loving or whatever. But the, 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 we, 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 that same attitude, I think, that the child has with the parent sometimes is the same attitude, Jeff, that I think we have with God. Yeah, I mean, even Peter says, you know you know that I love you. He said it three times, too. Like, right. You know, he, he's kind of like, Jesus, you know what's going on here. Right. You, know, <laughs> you know I denied you. I can't love you that way, but I do love you this way. Right. You know this about me. Yeah, yeah. And so... That's why he's so completely honest, you know, and I think that's, I think the people miss the point when they try to make Peter something that he's not um, and superpose this super spiritual person mm-hmm. that, that, oh yeah, he messed up, but he's still this super spiritual person that right. has it all together where well, he doesn't, and but he's honest about it. And I think that's what God wants us to be. And, and just like your kids, you know, when they fail to love you or you, uh, or maybe, you know, it's hard to love them unconditionally sometimes, yeah. right? But your your relationship is still there, and so yeah. you still work on trying to mend them and bring them back together and moving forward and forgiving and all the things. And I yeah. think that was the big big thing about this too, because if Peter is the rock, not him, but his faith statement, but he is going to be a leader in this this new way uh, once the, once the Pentecost gets here. Uh, he is a natural leader. People are going to follow, mm-hmm. and he's got to have it. He's got to be where he needs to be with Christ in order to do what God's going to call him to do later on. You know, it's interesting too. Um, I, 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 some of the stuff that I was pointing out with a with a change of name and, and stuff, uh, I picked up when I did the character study on Peter. Well, one of the other things I picked up on this is that it's interesting to me. Peter Peter says, "Well, I'm going to go fishing, right?" Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go back to doing my commercial thing. And before Jesus had actually tied his, his previous occupation to what he's going to call, to his call, he's going to make you a fisher of men. Mm-hmm. But at this point, Jesus, uh, when Jesus is reinstating him, he no longer uses fish. He's using shepherding now. Yeah, and I this is something. That that's something yeah, that's okay. something that, that Peter never even did before. Peter, Peter's not a shepherd, but Jesus is using shepherding terms, and it sticks we know that because if you go to Peter's epistles, um, he talks in terms of shepherding. Yeah, a lot. Uh, yeah, it's, he doesn't talk in terms of fishing. He talks in terms of shepherding, and I, I just think that that's neat. There's a there's a turning. And he calls point Jesus here. the great shepherd of our souls. Yeah, yeah, and and he and he calls pastors to be shepherds, and he and he uses shepherding language. Um, and I think this harkens back to G, the, the, this this moment where Jesus calls him to that. But let's talk a little bit more in detail about these subpoints that you had on this budget about being honest, because I, I do like some of the things you you brought out. One of which is that uh, sometimes things keep us from that sort of being able that self sacrificial love uh, of Jesus. So like um, we know that Jesus is saying here, do you? Do you sacrificially love me more than these? And there's a lot of debate. You, you brought that up about what the these are here. Um, 
You know, is he is he is he talking about these other disciples? Is he talking about these fish? Is he talking about these things involved in fishing? I, I think probably the latter is true. But honestly, it doesn't matter. Right. You could plug anything into the these. The, the, the fact is, is that, and you brought this out in the message, we we plug a lot of things, Jeremiah, into the slot that should be reserved for Jesus, right? Jesus says, do you, do you sacrificially love me more than fill in the blank, whatever your favorite thing is, right? Whatever it is that you identify yourself with at times and you shouldn't, those kinds of things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, um, I actually appreciate that. I don't think it matters what the these are. Um, I think the these can be just about anything. Yeah, I mean, and uh, we don't like talking about idolatry because people don't quite understand it, especially in our <laughs> modern era because we just automatically assume idolatry means you're worshiping a statue mm-hmm. um, but in our culture these like if, if you just say it's anything in, in you can plug anything into that point whatever it is that you love more than God or you spend more time with than God or you or you're loving or sacrificially you love sacrificially you're you're giving yourself to and making mm-hmm. sacrifices for that <clears throat> is your idol that that's what you worship. It, it's something you've put in the place of God. Anything you put in the place of God could be an idol. It could be something that's actually good. Something like your job. Something like your family. Something like sports. Something like a hobby that you do. Any of those, or money, of course, um, that you put in that place that you sacrifice for, day, even daily. If I choose to go to... Um to a, a, a sporting event where I choose to go to uh, some sort of entertainment venue as opposed to going to a church service on a Sunday morning or, uh, or you know, let's say it's Sunday morning. Um, does that mean that I've necessarily committed idolatry? Or, or I mean, how, what would you say to that? No, not necessarily, but I'd be careful because the tendency is to say, well... My, my church attendance doesn't doesn't bring me any closer to God, right? The tendency is, is to say that God's not going to love me anymore if I make it to church. Mm-hmm. But we forget that we make sacrifices all the time. And essentially what you're doing is I'm going to sacrifice my time with God in order to serve my hobby. Or I'm going to sacrifice my time with God in order to go and let's say it's entertainment. So then the question is, is like, which one are you sacrificing to and which one are you sacrificing? Mm-hmm. And it's really a hard <clears throat> issue. I mean, it's it, I'm not saying every time you miss church, you're, you're sinning or you're, you're, you're pursuing idolatry. But at the same time, you, you just need to you got to ask that question. What am I sacrificing in order to do this? And, and perhaps we could even put it in terms of. Which one? Are, you know, if it becomes a, if it became habitual, yeah, right? I would say if it was consistently habitually, I'm putting this thing first, right? As opposed to you know honoring the the Sabbath and coming to church and worshiping with my family as well as my church family and doing all the you know accountability and the you know just being part of the life mm-hmm. where then you detach yourself and then this becomes the most important thing and I think that's when it. It gets becomes problematic. Yeah, um, but every once in a while, or something <clears throat> comes up, or you miss, you know, that's just life. Sometimes, sometimes yeah. you can't get around it, or you know, 
Is God going to be upset that you got tickets to a, you know, a Final Four or something like that? And you had to miss <laughs> church to go to it. I don't think he will be. Yeah. You yeah. know. Uh, in, in fact, nowadays, you know, you can watch it all live, <laughs> you know, if you want to have a little little side job there. But, you know, I mean, I think it's, it goes back to what Jeremiah, it's your heart, really. Yeah. And he knows your heart, and that's why we got to be totally honest. <clears throat> and then, then when things are there, to say, oh, this is, and, and, and it'll be evident in your life. That's, if things yeah. creep in and starts taking priority, it's going to show up in other areas of your life. You're going to realize something's wrong here. I've got to get back to what's missing or what, what, where, where did I go wrong? And obviously, a lot of times, that's bringing you back to God and bringing you back to right to well, being part of the fellowship. To to put it in back into this context, if 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 Jeff's right, Blake, and and and, I, and again, I think he he is. And he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? The these, if the these is his his previous occupation that he's now going out there and he's going fishing, because again, he went out there with a whole crew. Yes, they had a net. They were fishing all night. They they were looking for to earn money. They were trying to make a living again. Oh yeah. And what was happening here in this instance is those things that he was sacrificing. He sacrificed his entire night for for fishing. Those things that he was sacrificing for were going to keep him from the thing that got, that Jesus wanted him to do, right? Mm-hmm. So it seems to me that if if the thing that you're identifying with or the thing that you're, uh, well, maybe, maybe a test, see if I'm right about this, maybe a test to see whether something has, has uh, become an idol, mm-hmm. right? Is, is it preventing you from fulfilling what Jesus' will is for your life? Would that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes yeah, I think that makes perfect sense because you could use, there's a plethora of examples you could use to, you know, for, yeah, I mean, I think college football right now or, mm-hmm. um, or uh, you know, basketball during March Madness or anything, you know, if you're, if there's a whole weekend where, you know, you're not, if there's a whole two, three, four, five months, like Jeff said, when it becomes habitual and even in our lives, even in our uh, daily lives, whenever a, uh, you know, if we're putting so much emphasis on maybe what we listen to, that's not maybe the most godliest, and that's preventing us from uh, spending time in the Word and things, the little things like that on the daily. Mm-hmm. That's I think that's what you see on the daily is a great and better test for what's idol worship, like you were getting at. Right. So, yeah. so the the bottom line is here is that um, Jesus was asking him, "Do you love me more than these?" And Peter. Like you said, he, it, it, he says, you know that I, he doesn't say I, I sacrificially love you. He doesn't say, he doesn't use the agape love back in return. Rather, he uses a form of that word love, that phileo love, which means brotherly love. It's still a close love, but it's not that sacrificial love. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know that I, I, I love you. And I think the point that you brought out with that is that um, perhaps it's Peter's reminiscence of his past failure here that's keeping him from... He's saying, look, I'm not capable of, a, of loving you sacrificially. I've already proved that. Right, and I think that was what was going on with him because... Uh, and I think that all the other disciples were probably struggling with the same idea too because they all scattered, they all fled. Yeah, let's not, um, let's not forget. And you, you yeah. brought that up when you went back to Peter's... Peter's yeah. He said, 
and uh, you look at that night and what happened. Even if all these, even if all these desert you, I won't. Yeah. And and everybody swore the same. Yeah. yeah. Like it, we we always focus in on Peter, but you know everybody else said that they yeah. would do the same. We're, we're all Peter, really. <laughs> right. And so, but when you go back to, and I kind of hit on it just a little bit in this the last point, but so if you go back to the first time Peter follows Jesus. Mm-hmm. He leaves everything on the shore and follows mm-hmm. him immediately. Left his, everything. His nets, his boats. Yeah. It literally says that. Left it yeah. with whoever. Maybe it stayed in his family. We don't know. But it's gone now. And even sometime in the three years that he's been with Jesus, there come a point where even Peter says, we've left everything to yeah. follow you. That's right. And because Jesus was like, are y'all going to leave me too? And like, we can't, you know, you have the words of life. Where would we go? But mm-hmm. he made a point that we left, we've left everything to follow you too. And so, um, well, I think, it's I, think even, I think it might even be Peter. And we said this, uh, yeah. I don't know, three weeks ago or so. I think it might be Peter was the one who actually said, well, what about us? We've left everything. Yeah, what are yeah. we going to get? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it might be Peter who said that, but yeah. I mean, he's referencing what you're talking about. Right. And so, so now that, Jesus has proven he's the Messiah because he's alive now. And remember, this is the third time. The first two times, they were there. They saw him. The second time, Thomas shows up. He sees him. Mm-hmm. My Lord, my God. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, I want you all to go wait for me. Mm-hmm. All right? And I'll give you further instructions. And what does he do? In his mind, he's thinking, he's not going to use me anymore. Right. So I might as well just go back to that. I mean, he's proven he's God. He's he's going to set up his kingdom, but I'm not in the, I'm not going to be in the pecking right, order. I messed up too much. I yeah. messed it up. So I think a lot of that's going on. And even these other disciples that followed him, like, what are you going to do, Peter? Well, I'm going to go back to work. Okay, we'll go too. Mm-hmm. They all did it. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's 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 really interesting when when you think about stuff like that. So often when we read the Bible, we we don't really think about it from terms of um, the struggle that goes on in people's hearts and minds and things like that. You know, I think it's funny, um, Jeremiah, but it, it, it seems to bear out that when I've messed up, when I've made a mistake, um, you know, and, and one of those mistakes that I, I really know I've made mistakes. I mean, we make mistakes every day, but I'm talking about one of those big mistakes or a big public mistake, right? It seems as though it's at that time where we need to rely on the grace and forgiveness that we receive from God, right? And and be and like Peter, be reinstated. That that's the that's when I see people go away from the church. Mm-hmm. They they walk away from the church and they don't want to come back. And I, and and it it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, um, it seems as though that would be the time that you would want to come back and rely on grace, come back and rely on forgiveness. But instead, the tendency is, and not just, well, not just in terms of fail, past failures, but also even in terms of tragic events that happen. It seems that like something bad happens in life and what we do, what our tendency is instead of coming to the church, we go away from the church. And, and that's when I see people walk away from the church. And walk away from the fellowship of the believers, and they isolate themselves. And I, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Why do you think it is that we do that? Yeah, I think it goes back to your example of the the child with the parent. Um, I think it's just one of our coping me- mechanisms to to deal with the fact that we we've, we've messed up. It's one of our cover up methods. And unfortunately, it's not correct. I'm, I'm saying that in a kind of a a nice light, but it's just another way of not trusting in Jesus. Mm. 
It's another, so like, there's other ways, like you can deflect, you could say, oh, well that sin's not that big a deal. You could justify your actions. These are all things that kids do, right? Or they, they deflect, they try to say, well, this kid did that. They try to change the <laughs> yeah. subject. What about him? Well, another one of those <laughs> is to just ignore it entirely or to, to, to try to walk away from it, try to distance yourself from it. Because mm-hmm. the further it is in your past or the further it is you are from it, you feel like you've kind of dealt with it or whatever. But it's just another coping mechanism to, to not trust in Christ. It's just a defense mechanism or coping mechanism of dealing with our sin rather than just trusting Christ and, and begging for forgiveness. And I think, man, that's just a lot of Christianity. I think that's a lot of what the Bible is trying to teach is God's like, I'm a loving father. If you'll just turn to me, I will love you. Mm-hmm. And then over and over, they're like, we don't need you. We won't turn to you. They're scared of him rather than running towards him. And if that that's the message we we should be teaching over and over and over is that God's not going if you run to God, he's going to to receive you with open arms rather than trying to defend, trying to deflect, trying to minimize your sin, trying to say you feel like you have a grip on your sin when you really don't or run away from put your head in the sand. Just all these other coping mechanisms. and, And God's like. Like I know you 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 failed. I know you're a failure, but I I'm I'm about reconciliation. I'm about rescue. I'm about uh, redemption. So yeah. Do you think Blake? Maybe that's because we don't practice this idea of accountability with one another. Mm. Like we don't we don't practice accountability with each other, and so <clears throat> when it when it comes up, it's a foreign concept to us, and so perhaps our our tendency then is to think, okay, well. Because I don't practice it with a friend, right? How am I supposed to deal with it with God? Mm, yeah. No, and I think that's a really good point that I hadn't thought of until you said that. So I'm glad you said that. But, yeah, accountability is huge. Um, accountability really, you know, it doesn't have to be like a formal sit-down session where, you know, let's just confess sins. It should be more like a lifestyle. Um, it should just be more like a lifestyle, you know, where uh, – um, if I've noticed a typical sin pattern in my life over the last three, four, five days, I can say, hey, look, you know, Jonathan, Jeff, Jeremiah, I'm struggling with this. I just need to confess that. Come back to me in five days and ask me how I'm doing with that. You know, mm. things like that. And that's as simple as it's got to be. And like, and like good accountability, they're not going to like, they're not going to be overtly harsh and over judgmental. Um, now, they'll tell you the truth when you need to hear the truth, mm-hmm. but they'll, you know, the correct way to do that is in love, full of truth and grace, like in John 1. Um, and I think along with that, I think a deeper, like a deeper issue, we confuse religion with the relationship with God a lot yeah, of times. Yeah, I think so too. Because, uh, you know, a lot of times we see religion as like, you know, if we sin against God, like he's mad, like he's coming with the fiery vengeance. Mm-hmm. and. Um, like for the believer, you know, that's just not true. You know, he God wants us to come back to him and reconcile. You know, you look at the prodigal son, you look at Peter right here. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at those two and you see that God's about reconciliation. He's about that relationship. Yeah. Um, like nothing, well, like once you got that salvation, you can't lose it. Like it wasn't ever yours to lose in the first place. Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, a lot of, uh, mixing religion with relationship and I a lot of I want to say Pentecostalism where you could almost this whole idea of you could lose your salvation right no, I understand in. what you're saying yeah and um, that's really big here in 
<clears throat> especially where I'm from, like in out, you know, in the, same in the mountain from, area. Yeah, from that from that concept's really, really prevalent, and I just yeah. I just don't see that in scripture. Yeah, because it's not. You know what's interesting about that though is those people who who hold to that belief are actually probably a little more uh, open about confessing sin. Then, Which then we, then, really then ironic. It is. It is. <laughs> but they they're they're more about it, I guess, because they see it as more of a life and death kind of thing, right? So if I see brother so and so and he's and I think he's backslidden, right? Um, you know, that's oh, that's a mountain term. Yeah, <laughs> but the idea that you know he's he's fallen from grace and and uh, and he's fallen in sin. I don't want to see him go to hell. He's my, you know, he, he, he went to church with me. He's my Christian brother. I'm going to talk to him about it. Brother, you're backsliding, you know. And so there's this notion of confronting sin and uh, sort of a, uh, an immediacy towards that that we don't find in, in those of us who, who, uh, who don't hold that belief. And I think a lot of that has led to us, unfortunately, we, <clears throat> we, that, that notion of, okay, uh, <clears throat> I'm secure I'm secure in my in my relationship with Christ. And I do believe that yeah. that I give once saved, always saved. But I think what it's led to, in some ways, and Jeff, maybe you can talk about this too, is I think it's led to a more privatized relationship, a more privatized, um, so that this is my business. I, I hear people push back against accountability and, and say, "I don't look my," you know, it's like uh, that old. Um, was it was it uh, it was Tom Tom, um, Tom T Hall who had me and Jesus got our own thing going right um, and so uh, you know me and Jesus got our own thing going y'all y'all deal with your own thing this is this is between me and him right and uh, and I don't so I don't want to make public my sin I, I'm not I, even if it's even if it's to another individual it's not your business what's going on in my life. Um, it's my this is this is my burden to bear and 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 so it leads to this sort of private life and and when we do that when we mess up then there's nobody there's nobody else to confess to right yeah. so like I, I've kind of cut everybody off does that make sense you you get what I'm saying there Jeff yeah and unfortunately that happens a lot of time in churches because uh, I think like what Peter was doing here even though he believed God loved him unconditionally, he still had conditions on that unconditional love. Like, well, he can't love, he can't use me anymore. He can't really love me. He can't really forgive me for what I did. Mm -hmm. He's put this condition on God's unconditional love. And God's coming back over and over. He, you know, Jesus comes to him. Jesus yeah. initiates it. And so the church, what happens, if, if we were in charge, we probably wouldn't put Peter back in mm -hmm. good, good graces. Mm -hmm. He would have to pay some kind of, uh, he'd have to do something in order to prove himself yeah. to beat back in good graces. And so a lot of times the church goes overboard um, in in the uh, condemnation in judgment. and yeah. don't, doesn't go far enough in the restoration part. Yeah, and it's got to be, but, I mean, Jesus is restoring Peter. You know, he knows, I mean, it's written in the book. Everybody knows Peter denied him. Right. And so for 2,000 years, we've known that. Mm -hmm. You know, I would hate for, you know, what if Jeff's thing was written down and now everybody knows that. And so mm -hmm. when the spotlight's brought on there, then people are like, they either run from the church or they run from God when, when it should be trying to get people to come back to God and be restored. Right. Now, 
I'm not saying that everything that, you know, there, there are limits and everything where, especially in leadership roles, um, that, that you do need to follow sure. depending on the circumstances and what happened. But there comes a point, though, uh, where the restoration has to be the main, I mean, the restoration should be the main focus. Yeah. Now, if the person refuses to receive the restoration or go through the process in order to mm-hmm. do that, there's nothing you can do about that. Right. Um, so I think I think um, sometimes we put conditions on the conditional love ourselves. I think that's a good point. Towards other people. <clears throat> I think it's a really good point. And I think, it, you know, we hear church discipline and we automatically, you know, our hackles get raised up. We don't like that term. We don't, we don't want to use that term. Um, and yet, and, 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 you know, I know, I know what Matthew 18, 15, I mean, 18, 18. Yeah, I Matthew, 18. Matthew 18 is sort of the model for that. But in some ways, one could point to John 21, 15 through 17 as a model for what, what church discipline should look like as well. Okay. Because, because ultimately, and what we get wrong about it is it's always, it's end goal is about restoration. It's end goal is about reconciliation. It's not about making someone feel horrible. I mean, Jesus didn't have to show up that day. No. He didn't have to show up. They weren't expecting him to come. Right. They were just going about their lives again, thinking that, okay, he's going to set up some kind of kingdom and we don't know what our part is. Uh, but he shows up. He takes the initiative. He's the one pursuing and he does the same thing for us. Uh, he's pursuing us right and trying to keep us where we need to be in a relationship with him because that the second the first one was these and now it's like you right he's going back to the heart of that yeah i think it's interesting too um you know we talk about how sometimes and our our past failures drive us away from any you know being being in, in context with the church and context with christ drives us away from that but what's interesting here in this in this narrative is peter um the very moment that he recognizes Jesus, throws on his tunic and jumps into the water. That's not somebody who's trying to run away from Jesus, Jeremiah. That's somebody who's running at Jesus. Um, try, and, you know, and so for somebody who, who says, well, I can't love you sacrificially. <laughs> I, can only, I, I, I love you like a brother, but I can't love you sacrificially if that's, you know, if that's well, what he's saying. Well, maybe he's realizing, well, he hasn't given up on me. Yeah, I, and that brings this whole honesty when he comes to that. And, and of course, you know, I, my, my mind can't help but when he jumps over the the, the 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 edge of the boat into the water to meet Jesus, I go back to Jesus calling him out of the water to begin with. Mm-hmm. Remember in the story where he, Jesus on the waves and he calls Peter to him, and Peter immediately steps out of the boat. Here, Jesus is again calling out to him, and Peter is jumping out of the boat into the water to get to Jesus. I mean, it's it's. There's so much going on in this story. Um, but I, I think, I look at this though, and I see somebody who, I, I guess in some ways I see, I see the heart of what, uh, of someone who, let's say someone who is struggling with sin, right? And, and they walk away from the church or, they, or they, they, they drift, let's say they drift from the church. Their minds and their emotions and stuff might drift from the church, but I think if, if they're, a, especially if they're a Christian, Somewhere or another, their heart is still drawn. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Their heart wants to be drawn to Jesus. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yeah, I mean, uh, if they're true believers in Jesus Christ, like there's just this natural, I don't want to call it conviction, but natural like drawing to, to do what's right. If we're being honest, I used to believe this. I think I still do. I don't. I haven't said this in a long time, but... I really feel like I know there's times when we sin and it's we we claim it's unconscious, 
Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just said, I don't even know I'm doing it. Right. But I, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of feel like that. That when we sin, we have to quench the spirit in order to do so. Mm-hmm. Meaning that it's active. Not, not. I think we do passive sin because sin is just so prevalent in our lives, right? It's just so natural for us to, to be a sinner. But when you become a Christian, you're a new creation. Spirit comes to dwell within you. You now have to have that struggle. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that struggle, you should be concerned, in my opinion. Uh, meaning, like, if you don't, if, if, if you can just walk away from the church and you can just kind of sin without remorse, uh, you should strongly consider whether you're a Christian or not. Because based on what I read in the scriptures, there should be this struggle within, this, this inner struggle. And it's a good thing. Like, I love, I love the struggle. The struggle is hard. The struggle is real. But I love the struggle because it, it helps me realize, all right, God is at work inside of me. And, and I, can, I can quench him, yes, and I do quench him. But at the same time, I'm thankful that, that the Holy Spirit works within me. And, and, and when I do sin, it's like, yeah, you messed up. Mm-hmm. And, and he lets me know. And then I, of course, confess, or at least that's what I should do. Right. And all this has to do with that first point. I mean, all, everything we're talking about here has to do with that first point, that we need to just be honest when we fail to love him with that agape love. And we're going to do that. But the second point is that we, we do need, we should try and need, to love Jesus with both agape, this sacrificial love, but also this relation, this relational love as well. And um, I, I think the reason why Jeff would say Jeff said that in the message is because going back to the text, that third time, Jesus says, "Do you even do you phileo me? Right? Do you do you?" He doesn't use agape here. He says, "Do you brotherly love me?" You, and, and funny thing is, Peter has said every time. Oh, I love you like a brother. I love you like a brother. And Jesus is like, do you love me like a brother? He's like, do you really? Yeah. Do you, do you, do you, come on, Peter. Do you really love me? And then that really hurts Peter. And it says Peter was hurt that he asked him that. And he says, Lord, you know everything. Which is interesting because Peter is now saying, Lord, and you know everything. This is another sort of confession of Jesus as Messiah and as, Christ, as, as the Son of God, right? As divine. Otherwise, he wouldn't say, you know everything. I mean, And this is post-resurrection, which I think... It matters, not for this discussion, but I think it matters. Yes. This right. is post-resurrected Jesus. And it's pre-Holy Spirit indwelling. Yeah. Right. But he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I do love you like a brother, right? And he still isn't willing to say uh, uh, that I agape you. Um, and I guess maybe that brings up an interesting question here, too. Um, Peter, Peter never here says that he Agape, actually, Jesus. Uh, and and I'm wondering, is that is that po- is is it possible? Yeah. yeah, is it intentional? Is it possible for us to do that? I was actually considering pushing back here, um, just as a devil's advocate type thing, just for discussion. Mm-hmm. But uh, do I I I noticed the same thing. Peter never admits to loving Jesus sacrificially ever, even after being restored. And so I'm wondering if Peter and Jesus are both being intentional in that way. Mm. That that both Jesus and Peter kind of realize that Peter can't love sacrificially or agape love. That that's reserved as a love for God and God only. Mm. And so I don't know. I don't know the answer well, to that I just question. I think he's not there yet because Jesus says, 
that he, he talks about you're going to die. So yeah, you're going to yeah. get to that point. Yeah. You're not there yet. But eventually, well, yeah, I mean, that, that is a sacrificial, yeah. I guess, that's sacrificial. Yeah. You die, oh, I mean, yeah. You die you, for you, the faith. You give yeah. your life and for when the faith. Start, I can't yeah. imagine it not being yeah. sacrificial. Yeah. Once he got the Holy Spirit and started preaching, they said, look, stop preaching his name. He knew that if I don't stop preaching, then I could get killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, so at this point in time, he wasn't there yet. Well, actually, do you, but, but do you know if he knew what Jesus meant? That he was going to die? Well, that's what the interpretation I says. I think it's a parenthetical thing that John knows later. Because remember, mm-hmm. John's writing a lot later. That's true. And probably Peter is already dead when John is writing. Well, he says you're gonna, they're going to make you do something you don't want to do. Well, dress you. It just sounds like old age to me. Well, yeah. That's, mm-hmm. It sounds like somebody dying from... And then but John... Then John but he said it, probably John says... But when he talks about stretching out was. your hands, I think that was the allusion to you're going to die And me. carry you where you do not want to go. Yeah, yeah but I'm, I'm like Jeremiah. I'm wondering if just, Peter recognized... Or did Peter know at that point that Jesus was saying... He may not have... Uh, yeah, that's I, what I'm saying. Right. I think Jesus is taking him where he's at and saying, "Okay, here's and, where you are." And, and and I use some scriptures where God used the layup or the relationship with, mm-hmm. with the believers, and then the whole comment, the knock on the door. That's all phileo love us, right? And it goes back to what Jeremiah kept saying earlier in our whole study is like, unless you have a relationship, yeah. you can't do the agape thing, right? So Jesus, is like, okay, let's get the relationship back where it needs to be, mm-hmm. and once you get your relationship back. Then you're going to start working more. Working towards how am I going to be able to sacrifice more, give sacrificially, and live sacrificially? I think that's where I'm at. I think that's what I believe that is going on. Because you got to have both. You got to have both. Right. I think that uh, I think we grow towards agape. Yes. And um, and as part of the restoration, I would like it if. If Jesus, when he asked the third time, do you phileo me? If, if, if he, he would have switched he would have like, you know I agape you. Right, yeah. And then you would see like full restoration. Right. Now, I did sit in a sermon one time with a preacher. And, you know, you're sitting there as a new believer. You don't understand. And yeah. He basically flipped it and said that Peter did answer agape. Mm. Now, this was like when I first became a believer and all. And then when I went to seminary and you're starting to learn how to look at language. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that guy, he it sounded good when he preached it. Yeah. But he missed the point. He yeah. never said, I got paid. Yeah, I'm fairly certain Peter did. And I think that's because I think in, in a lot of... Uh, a lot of Christianity and even commentaries and all, they put the disciples up on such a high pedestal. Mm-hmm. And really, they were the uh, loneliest kind of Yeah, thing. and so <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of times the preaching and stuff puts it that way that these people, we can't even attain to be like Christ, but we can't even attain to be like Peter. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we can't do that because they're just like us. They're people that are struggling with the same things we are in a different era, but they're trying to figure out how can I love God and how can I love people, and how can we spread the gospel? And I want to say something uh, to follow that. We, you know, when Jesus says to go follow me, mm-hmm. that was for a Jewish rabbi to go to somebody and say, "Hey, follow me," was unheard of in the first century, because um, if these disciples talking how we over spiritualize them, we really shouldn't, because in this context, these disciples. Everybody would have gone through like two or try to go through two or three levels of Jewish training per se, mm-hmm. Jewish seminary, if you will. But 
Um, if they didn't get a rabbi's acceptance, they were kind of cast out. You had to go get like a fisherman job or something mm-hmm. like that. So when Jesus comes up and says, follow me, that's unheard of for a Jewish rabbi to do that. And I think it's really interesting that he still says, hey, follow me. And yeah, how- I think it's a way of redirecting him back to this, your first love. When you first followed me, come back to that. Yeah. Put your eyes on me. Don't focus on your past failures. Don't focus on these guys over here. Because he was like, hey, what about John? He's like, focus. you follow me. Right. You follow me, and that's what we're supposed to do. So I think the point you're getting at is that, that how open his invitation is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, most, most rabbis wouldn't just yes. have open invitation to... To become a disciple of them, yeah. you'd have to earn that right. Yeah, Most people wouldn't have to go seek them. Right. And yeah. Instead, Jesus says, hey, the invitation's wide open. Come follow me. And, and the fact it's just different. And the fact that they weren't under a rabbi's teaching showed that they weren't the smartest. They weren't the most brilliant. Right. You know, they were kind of like the nobodies. And mm-hmm. I don't really find it a coincidence that Paul says, and I think either in First or Second Corinthians, God chose the nobodies mm-hmm. of the world. Right. And you see that with... Yeah, the disciples. Yeah, and when they first preached and got arrested, they're like, uh, "These men, they're they're preaching this stuff, and but they're unlearned. They don't know the scriptures. They don't have right. a pedigree. All we know is they've been with Jesus, right? Right. And so, well, then, I think that brings us back to you know what he's saying: follow me, and then feed my sheep, which then requires relationship with people and relationship with others and all that right and one of the things i I appreciate and going back to what we said a minute ago about we grow in agape right Mm -hmm. but we 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 can have phileo uh, love with jesus and we we need both um certainly but um i I really appreciate the fact that both your sub points under this idea that we need to love jesus with both of those loves is focused on that phileo because of our phileo love because of our because of relational love with jesus that, that leads to us being forgiven of our failures. Because, and, and that serving him requires phileo love. Doesn't require agape love. If it did, then, well, we, none of us could serve him. I mean, you know, it, it requires, I don't, I don't wanna say we don't, don't practice agape in the church, but, but feeding his sheep does, I think you're right, require that phileo love. And, you know, you went to, um, you've already mentioned it, but like John 16, 27, for the Father himself phileos you dearly because you phileo me and believe that I came from God. That's Jesus talking, right? Mm-hmm. For the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. So um, Jesus uh, doesn't use agape there. He uses that, that term of phileo. And then the same thing, I stand at the door and knock. That, there's that idea of relational um, I love there as well. Yes, yeah, so uh, I correct and display everyone I love. Everyone I everyone I phileo there, right? Is, is 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 the Greek. So, so yeah. So even though God loves us with an agape love, He say He's using that phileo love um, to to describe the relationship with us and, and He as well. And so I think that's interesting because um, serving Him, you might say, well, I don't. I still I listen. To you guys talk about agape. I'll, you know, over these past five weeks, I'm just realizing that I'm not very good at it. Right? I, I don't, I don't really do very well at agape loving uh, my my Christian brothers, my neighbors, certainly not my enemies, and uh, and and I fail at agape loving God. And so, how can I be used? And Jesus says, "Well, it doesn't require agape love to do 
to have relationship with me. That requires a relationship, right? That requires, and from that relationship that you have with me, you're sharing in the agape, the God's agape love through you. And so then um, feeding his sheep or pastoring, right? Or serving him doesn't require agape love. It requires phileo love. It requires, it requires that. You can you can serve him without having this perfect agape love, I guess is what I'm trying to say to you. And, and I would go back to the, what you were saying about accountability. Um, I know you said Jeremiah. That's no, all right. Go ahead. No, jump in. I'm sorry. No, jump I'm in. not Jeremiah. <laughs> but uh, I think uh, to go back to what you said about accountability, um, you know, to follow him and work towards that agape, um, you know, get two or three close brothers or sisters um, that can help you, uh, that can help you in your walk. And can help you follow him. Mm-hmm. All right, now Jeremiah can talk. About <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, just uh, I guess I wanted to say it earlier. This might be a harsh language, but I'm going to say it. We suck at confession. Like we're terrible at it. And I don't know if it's because yeah, I don't know if it's because we want to distance ourselves from the Catholic Church or what it is. But I'll tell you, just as a parent, it breaks my heart. When my kids do something wrong and run away from me. Because it feels like I'm doing something wrong or like I'm responding the wrong way. When really I just want to, I want to correct them. Sure, I want to discipline them. I put air quotes on discipline. But I want to I correct them because I know that that stuff is bad for them. And yeah. it'll hurt them later if they don't correct that behavior. But at the same time, I just want to restore them to me, to our relationship, and let them know, look, I'm here to help you when you make mistakes. Yeah. And I think God's the same way. I don't know why. I mean, ever since the garden, we run, we hide, we deflect, we justify. We do everything we can do except for confess mm-hmm. and, and try to restore or seek restoration for, yeah. for our mistakes. and. And Jesus wants to restore us. I mean, that's what this text is really about. He's restoring mm-hmm. Peter. Yeah. Giving Peter three chances to to affirm him rather than to deny him. And not just restoring his relationship, but restoring him and commissioning him too. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, and that, that's, what, that's what strikes me about this. He's not just restoring him. It'd be one thing if he's like, Peter, we're good. We're, we're square. You know, yeah. all right, go on, do your thing now. But he's like, Peter, we're square. We're good. And I've still got purpose for you. you. There's more for you to do. In fact, you need—I I need to restore you so you can do the thing that you're that I've created you to do. I've created you for these good works, and you need to be able to do them. And our broken relationship is preventing that from happening right now. You know, and, and I think that's why. Um, you know, I, I, as a father, I, I share with you in that um, my kids are older now, so I don't have that as much. But I can remember, I can remember one of my daughters in particular just really, um, she, <laughs> she, she had a propensity to, to lie to us. Like, and, and that's the worst. Mm-hmm. The worst is when your, your child will lies to you and you know that they know you know the truth. And it's like, why would you do that? Why not just tell me the truth? And, and, and you're right, it makes you think, well, am I doing something wrong that you feel like you have to lie to me? Am I doing something that's, that's you know, because all I'm trying to do is correct you, you know? And, and so I don't want you to be afraid of me 
um, I want to correct you so that you don't make these mistakes later on. And this, this, if you don't stop this habit of lying, you're going to lie to everybody else. And this just, you know, you don't want to be characterized that way. And it was a struggle. And I, I, I remember that. But you're right. The exact same thing happens here. And why, why is it that I want my, why, why is it I want my daughter to be able to tell me the truth? Um, because I want to see her succeed, right? I want to see her do well in life. I, there, there are things that I know she's capable of that I want to usher her towards, including God's own, including God's purpose for her life. And, and so there are things that I want to, I want to, I want to be able to push her towards. But if she's doing these things, she's not going to be able to get there, right? And, and I think God is the same way with us, man. It, it, like God sees us and he says, there, there are these things in your life that are preventing you. It's like I said earlier, the, those, those habits that you have right now, those things that you're putting in front of, in front of me, they're preventing you from fulfilling your purpose. And I, it just, I don't want to see that happen. I want to see you succeed, my child. Yeah. And um, as long as you're not willing to confess that, if you just keep this up, you're never gonna be where I want you to be. Anyway, good stuff this morning. Um, uh, next next Monday will be a little bit different because the four of us won't have preached the message. Um, none of Chris us Alley, will. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Chris, yeah, Chris Alley will be wow. our guest speaker on Sunday for our, for our anniversary celebration. He's a missional strategist, and um, uh, I'm really kind of hoping we'll talk a lot about the whole pockets of lostness in our area. Of Durham here, um, and so I can't really tell you, uh, audience, what we'll be talking about here on the podcast next week. But uh, I can guarantee you, it'll be about the gospel somehow. Jesus will be mentioned. <laughs> Jesus will be mentioned, and uh, and we, we'll look forward to sharing with you what we what we gained from um, from Chris Alley and uh, give you some insights on that. So anyway, uh, this has been a fun conversation today. Thanks for joining us as always. Um, have a great rest of your week and we will see you on the next one. So long.